What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and I have a very special guest on. I have brought on my better half. And this time it is not Casey Kress, who is my partner at our family financial planning practice. It is my true better half, Dr. Taylor Inman. So I'm excited to have her on and join us for the show. We're going to be going over something really cool that she is very passionate about. But before we jump into the show, let's hear from this episode's sponsor. I want to share a great opportunity brought to you by my friend, Dr. Jimmy Turner over at thephysicianphilosopher.com. And this is for all physicians out there who are trying to find balance, but are overwhelmed by the daily to-do list and all their responsibilities as partners, parents, and physicians. Or maybe you're doing okay, but you want to be doing great. If that sounds like you, I think the alpha coaching experience is going to be the answer that you're looking for. And it's a 12-week coaching program that includes weekly group coaching as well as one-on-one coaching sessions. And there's also a course library filled of tons of stuff for self-coaching tools. It's one of the programs with doctors coaching doctors. So if you're looking to reduce burnout, improve your satisfaction in life, and create a life that you love and truly deserve, don't wait. Spring enrollment is on sale now. The doors for the Alpha Coaching Experience close on February 22nd at midnight. And for more information, you can go to drpodcastnetwork.com slash alpha, A-L-P-H-A. And of course, you can always get the link in the description of the show that you're listening to right now. Obviously, you know how much I love Jimmy with our Money Meets Medicine podcast. He's a fantastic guy and he's got a great coaching program. So I highly recommend you check it out. Again, that's drpodcastnetwork.com slash alpha. All right, remember that this is not investment advice, financial planning advice, any other advice you can actually think of. This is for entertainment purposes only. And of course, this show will be way more entertaining. So let's get her on. Hey, Tay. Thanks for having me on the show today. Well, it's so nice you to be back and to grace us with your presence on giving us some really cool info on creating your dream job. And I know that over the years, we have not had necessarily as much say over what your work or what my work had looked like. And I feel like now we've gotten in this really cool groove. And I know that unfortunately, not everyone is able to do that or is at that point. So I think this is really needed information. And I'll kind of let you start us off on how we can really create our own dream jobs. I think this is important to me because looking back on it, I think I've really created my dream job and we're in a really good place right now. But for most of the time throughout med school and training, I always felt like I was trying to find my dream job, like everything was dictated for me. And then when it came time to looking for a job, Ryan kept wanting to call this episode finding your dream job. But really, it's not like finding that needle in a haystack dream job out there. It's really about creating what you want from a job and having a job that truly makes you happy. And Ryan's really big into life planning. So everything we're going to talk about, I did, but there wasn't any specific order to to it or any guidance. So I want to help guide everyone out there to create their dream jobs and in turn create their dream life. Okay. So that was a little bit of backhanded. I mean, I get it. It's all good. I still love you. It's fine. I'd mistakenly when we were talking about certain things that we could bring her on the show and when she was like, well, we should talk about this whole creating your dream job. I was like, cool, finding a dream job. She's like, no, no, no. That's the exact opposite. I'm like, oh, sorry. I didn't follow along. I'm here. I'm on pace. I get it. I'm on the same page. So can they do this at any point in their career? Like, How do they start? What do they do? 
you can do this at any time. And I think Ryan really guided me through this process without knowing that he was guiding me through this process. So when I was looking for a job towards the end of fellowship, Ryan was really big into life planning. He kept telling me to write down the things that I wanted from a job and what was important to me. And I thought it was crazy at the time. Eventually, over the next couple of years, I did this and followed what he said. And I kind of have it outlined. We'll go over those right now. All right. Well, let's start it off. Why don't you just walk through it? So when you're trying to find your dream job, first thing is write down the time requirements of your job, like what an ideal job looks like to you. What hours would you work? How much call would you take? How much of your time would be spent on your job in your dream job? And then next thing is to write down everything about the actual job, what it looks like when you're at work and literally everything. If you're going to work at a hospital, what type of hospital do you want to be at? What size of hospital? If you're in a clinic's place, what would you like it to be like? Be specific. If, even if you want to have three exam rooms and one MA and one nurse, all of that is important. Everything that you think would help create your dream job, write it out here. You can even add in your template and schedule what's ideal, what's your perfect situation look like if you're just walking into this dream place. The next thing you want to write down is what you want everything to look like outside your job. So what you want your personal life to look like. And that'll include things like location, like what size of city you want to live in, or if you want to live somewhere rural, what part of the country you want to live in, and just everything outside of work. And you can include some personal things too, like you want to have however many children with you and a spouse and where you want to be, because all that's going to be important and will affect your dream job. And then the last thing you want to write about is a salary, what you want to get paid. You should have an idea of what's realistic, but this is your dream. So whatever you want to write, write down. I think it's funny. So salary was never really super important to Taylor. It was more these other things. So it was very fitting that you would have salary be like the last thing of the three. But in terms of life planning and where we talk from like a financial standpoint, obviously salary is important, but it isn't what drives everything. It just drives everything that you do outside of work. And this is the perspective that I can never really bring to all of you on the show is talking about how many MAs, how many exam rooms, how many things do you want? That stuff like I get from a very high level, but I'm not in the weeds. Taylor obviously is very much in the weeds. This is the things that she was writing out. Taylor is a very big journaler. She steals all the free notebooks that I get from conferences and people send to me. And she uses all of them and writes down all of this amazing stuff. And so when we were talking about the concept of life planning and what that was important from outside of work, I think this then in turn caused you to really do more reflection inside of work. Is that right or am I wrong? I think it's true. Also, I am a serial journal collector and I like to write things down. It helps me remember it. And I have 12 different notebooks with everything, but I know where everything is, but it's just scattered over everywhere. And even prepping for the show, I have a notebook and it's every other page is something else because I was multitasking at the same time. But it does help to write it down. It can be an email. Some of these notes for my life goals, I found in an email draft somewhere too. So whatever method works for you, Whatever it is, write it down. Don't just think of it in your head because it's not as real in your head. So write it down somewhere in some form. Do you know what that sounds like, Tay? What does that sound like? That sounds like a financial plan. What I tell everyone else, it's not a real plan until you write it down. It's not going to actually occur. Like maybe you'll get close, but things aren't actually going to occur until you write things down. So I like that you do it. And she is a serial like notebook collector. And it drives me crazy. Like if I had a bunch of notebooks with everything I do is online in the computer stored in like my vaults, my notes and all that stuff. But it's neat. That's how she explores and helps her think through things and write through things. So 
there's no one size fits all. It's not that, oh, well, if Taylor writes everything down, like maybe that's why she, no. If you think that typing notes on your phone in the notes app on your Apple phone, like sure, whatever. Or if it's Evernote or if it's Notion or whatever app you want to use, I mean, it could be any piece of paper, any notebooks, whatever. Just the act of doing these things, I think are really important. And Taylor, your notes are not like small. Like you write a lot of notes on these things. Like when you were talking about how you want your job to look like and what you want to do, like we're talking, it wasn't just like, oh, three or four sentences. Like we're talking potentially pages and pages of notes of how this would all look, right? It is. We're going to go through all that now. But I also just want to mention your dream job does not exist until you have an idea of what it is. So write all this down. Take a step back. That is your dream job in your dream bubble. That is the ideal world for you. So I did all this. And what I realized is the first thing, the most important thing to me with a job is work-life balance. I want to have time for work. I enjoy my work. I love it. But I also want to have that balance with life. So I started with time. And the things I wrote down were very specific. So I want to be able to walk the kids to school at least one day a week. I want to be able to pick the kids up from school one day a week, just because I want to know what's going on at school. I don't want to feel like I'm one of those moms that's absent and working all the time. And then the other days that I can't pick the kids up, I want to be home by 5pm. I want to be able to have dinner with my kids. I don't want to come home at dinner time and just be frantically rushing to get them to bed. As far as call, I knew that I wanted to be on call at a maximum one weekend a month and one week of weekdays per month. Ideally, you wouldn't take call at all. But also, I know that I could handle one week a month and one weekend a month and be okay with that. And then also, I knew it was important to have a layer of protection from parents at all times. Where I did fellowship, parents could call in after hours and speak to the physician on call. And that I knew and I have recently discovered is just my absolute breaking point. I cannot handle unnecessary interaction during my personal time. So I knew that I needed to have a layer of protection from parents at all time. And then ideally, I'd like to work part time at some point in my career. I wanted to have that option. I mean, ideally, that would be right out of finishing fellowship. But my financial planner told me that's not a good idea. And then I knew that I wanted four weeks of vacation a year. And that is a non-negotiable thing. Yeah, we didn't go through all the medical school and residency and fellowship to go part-time. It wasn't part of my life plan, but you found some really cool stuff and you've been working on some neat things. So what else factors into this creating your ideal job? So next, I went to the actual job. So while I was at work, what would happen? I knew that ideally, I wanted to be at a children's hospital. That was really the only place I had worked for my whole career, except for uh, med school. And then ideally, I'd like to work in my specialty, which is pediatric pulmonology. And we'll get to that later, why that suddenly became an actual job goal. I knew that I wanted to be with a nice and supportive group. And I actually wrote that out. I wanted a group that was nice, supportive, and just easy to work with. I wanted to have good support staff, a good nurse, a good MA, because that makes a huge difference in your job. And then the actual template for clinic or inpatient, that was a lot less important to me. And really, I feel like depends a lot on the support staff. The main thing is that I wanted to be able to complete my work in a work day and leave by five and not be stressed out and be bringing work home with me. So if I'm at work, I don't care if I'm seeing patients every 20 minutes, if I have the support staff to do that, and the computer system to allow me to chart that fast and get done and close all my notes that day, then by all means, I'm all for it. But if there's a lot of holdups throughout the day, and so things run a lot slower, then it's going to be harder to do that. So my template didn't matter as much just doing the work in a day. And then next, I looked at salary and my financial planner actually told me what salary I needed to make in order to have a job. Well, we looked at what the comps were in your field and specialty. And then we 
looked at it, even across the board on the geographic arbitrage concept, which Taylor hates that concept and that's okay, but it really wasn't a thing for us. But we did look at salary. That was something that I was like, hey, we got to look at the full comp and it's also just not how much they pay you, but also what are the benefits and how do all those kind of get calculated in? So that was of importance. That was actually really disappointing because my awesome, amazing best friend from fellowship was in San Francisco and they had a job open to hire. My dream would be to work with her in her group, but my financial planner ran all the numbers for me. And he told me if we lived there, I could work full time and we would be saving less money than we were living in Vegas with me not working at all, which was really depressing. Yeah, it's that expensive in San Francisco, but you were doing locums work. You were doing one week a month, you would go up to Fresno from Vegas, you'd work, you'd come back. And that amount of income, basically staying in Vegas would have been basically you working full time in San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. So Ryan crushed my goals when I was creating my dream job there. And the last thing I wrote out was places that we'd be willing to live. And it can be easier or harder based on your specialty. If you're really specialized, you may be limited to only big cities, but really write down all the places you would be willing to live in the country and then start looking for jobs from there. So we had a number of places listed. We listed like San Diego, Denver, we thought sounded nice, Charleston, Texas. We don't know that much about Texas, but we thought it sounded nice. And then Orange County, there weren't a lot of places listed on our location. So we were a little bit limited, but that's kind of where I started at. I told you like, look, I work from home. I'll go wherever we want to go as long as there was something fun for all of us to do. And I didn't want to be super, super remote. That was my only thing. Got to have good internet, some fun stuff around it. Kids can enjoy it safe, preferably by the beach. But like that wasn't the absolute requirement. That was, I think, one of Taylor's absolute requirements, but that wasn't necessarily mine. We ended up deciding a few locations and had a list. And some of you might have really long list of locations and the more that you have available, the maybe the easier it is to create this dream job. But what else do you have on your list today? That was actually it for my list. It's important to keep all these things in mind when you're looking for a job. And obviously, you're going to have to give and take like any relationship here. You have to give and take. You're not going to get everything that you want. You're not going to make a million dollars a year working 10 hours a week. It's just not realistic. But it's also important to know what you want when you're looking for jobs. So I'm going to walk you guys through how things looked for me. I started looking for jobs when I was in fellowship. I didn't have all these goals written out. I just knew that we had two children under two when I finished fellowship and I wanted a little break. So Ryan and I had talked about our life goals and our life goals ended up taking us to Las Vegas where Ryan's family is, where it's a lower cost of living, where we could afford to live on a whole lot less. So I would be able to take time off and not work for a period of time and then work part time when I did start working, which was huge. Yeah, and allow the grandparents to get to know the kids. And I really had just started my practice the year before. I left a nice, high-paying job to essentially make nothing in the beginning and build the book of business up. And so being able to hit the family goals plus cheaper cost of living, it worked and allowed her to take some time off. And I didn't know how long the time off would last. Taylor's said like, oh, I wanted a whole year. And I was like, there's no way. You're just, you're too smart, you're too type A, you're too gung-ho, and there's no way it's going to happen. How long did you last, eh? Not long. It was less than a year. I was ready to work after I took my boards. Yeah. And her boards were three months after we moved there. So she lasted, I mean, as long as I probably thought she would realistically last. But hey, when she's busted her butt all these years and we've sacrificed a lot to be in medicine, just like all of you, you know, life in medicine is not the 
easiest of paths to go. And I think she did deserve some time off that she wanted. And we had planned for that. We'd always lived off one salary and saved the other. And we've always been like really diligent with money. Like, thankfully, that allowed us to do that. But I didn't think she was going to last a full year. Well, and I discovered that taking time off and being home with an infant and a one-year-old is not really time off. It's like being on call 24-7 with no end in sight ever. I love my children, but I have so much respect for stay-at-home moms because I could not do it. Yeah, stay-at-home parenting is so tough. And we found, again, that revision of that in the pandemic here, whereas Taylor's working, some from home, some having to go in. I obviously work from home, but we had kids and called it like passing ships through the night where I had the kids in the morning, she'd have the kids in the afternoon. And it was really tough teaching a, well, now six and four-year-old, all their stuff. They just, we both are not cut out for that type of work. I can teach finance. I have a hard time teaching kindergarten and preschool. Yeah, but I'm thankful they're this old now because when they're just babies and crying and eating and peeing and pooping all the time, man, that is tiring. I mean, they still do all those things. They're just six and four. And so they yell now. They can make their own breakfast. I call it a win. That's true. And then feed it to the dog and then scream they're hungry. But yeah. So going back to the very beginning, when I was looking for jobs in Las Vegas, looking in my specialty, there was only one option in Vegas. And that option didn't check any of my boxes of things that were important looking back on it. So the time didn't work, the actual job, the salary, I guess it checked the box for location, but that was it. So I knew that option was not viable. The next thing I could have done in Vegas is start my own practice. And Ryan was very supportive of this. And ran the numbers and his family's all in real estate and like leasing office space. So I had an excellent network to get an office, staff, start everything up, biller, coder, all that stuff. But the thought of running a practice myself is terrifying. And I don't care about money. I don't care about finance. I don't want to see my patients as numbers and making income and things like that. So just the thought of that is pretty much my worst nightmare. And I knew that was not going to work. Yeah, I tried. I did try because my whole family's been there actually since the late 60s. They have lots of connections. It's still a small town for what everyone thinks Vegas is. It's actually still a very small town. And I tried because I was like, well, now we can create this dream job. We can create your job. And my vision of creating a dream job is the entrepreneurial route. But of course, that is like me being a crazy guy working 70 hours to not work 40 hours for someone else. And that is the exact opposite of what Taylor once. And I think understanding how that works for all of you individually, everyone is different, is really, really important because some of you are cut out to be entrepreneurs. You are not going to want to work in maybe an academic hospital and put up with all of that. But some of you would be the exact opposite and be terrified of being an entrepreneur and would hate that. And how Taylor is exactly how she views it. You know, she doesn't want to look at patients as money. She wants to look at patients as patients, which as a patient myself, I would say I would greatly appreciate that. It's not for everyone. So that was, it was an interesting uh, dynamic and lots of discussion. And I think it took me longer to realize that than it took her. Yes, I knew this from the very first conversation about my own practice, but I at least entertained the idea and thought about it before completely shooting it down. They went down, crash and burn, in flames. The next thing I did was look for hospitalist jobs. I thought I could make that work. I thought I'd be happy with the actual job because it's similar to pulmonary and with set hours, it's not like you're having to work. So it seemed doable. So I actually interviewed for a couple of different hospitalist positions. And one of them, most people were really nice, but there were a lot of red flags during my interview. And I had done all my 
creating my dream job planning before I went into this because I was at the point where, all right, my job doesn't exist here where I live. What do we need to do for us to be happy long term? So at one of the hospitals that I interviewed at, I interviewed mostly with women, but they all balked when I discussed work-life balance. And with this position, full-time was the only option, which I was fine with. The hours didn't seem that bad. One of the people asked me what was the most important thing for me with work. And I said, having a good work-life balance. And she gave me a side eye. And I talked about how I really enjoyed PICU, Pediatric Intensive Care Unit, but I didn't like the hours with it. And when I was an adult and grown up, I didn't want to spend the night in the hospital. And that is truly why I picked pediatric pulmonology as a specialty, because I do like PICU, but I don't want to be there on nights, weekends, at all ends, being the last stop for kids that are really sick. So pediatric pulmonology is a really good balance from that because I get to sleep at home every night with my family. Sometimes I get called, but it's just not as demanding. And the person interviewing me actually pulled up their PICU schedule to show me why I was wrong and why people working in the PICU don't work as hard. And I was confused at the time because I'm like, I understand this is how it is at your hospital, but most people that work in the PICU have to work nights weekends. It's like a 24-hour thing. So it just was really odd to me. And the people for that position didn't end up calling me back at all, even just to tell me that I wasn't going to get the job, which looking back on it, my feelings were hurt. But now I'm like, it's such a good thing that they didn't call me back because I would have been miserable there. It wouldn't have been a good long-term solution. And I saw this firsthand because, funny story, I ran into one of the people who interviewed me, actually the person who pulled up their PICU schedule when I was at Trader Joe's. And she was completely frazzled, had a kid with her, was just frantic. And I said, hi. And she looked at me like she wanted to run away and hide under a rock as fast as possible. And I still didn't know that they weren't going to call me back. And at the time, I thought this interaction was just super weird. But reflecting back on it, I was relaxed. I had no kids with me. My kids were with grandparents. I mean, I was an unemployed physician, but I had true work-life balance at that point. And I knew that I didn't want to be like her, see myself like she was in life. And also I secretly really want to life plan with this person and help them create a better dream job for themselves. But everything works out how it's supposed to. And that was just a really good example for why I didn't become a hospitalist because it wasn't the right fit for me. And really the most important thing for me, work-life balance was less likely to be possible if I brought that up in my interview and the people were not open to that at all. And a little side note here, looking for jobs can be a little bit awkward. It takes forever to find jobs, reach out to people, interview at places. You may get an offer right away and then have another job that you're looking at that you haven't interviewed at, but you have to give an answer for the people who gave you an offer. There may be a time deadline on that. So that part can be a little bit weird. It can take a really long time. And it's different from matching because you don't get to go find all the options, interview at all the places and then find all the places that want to give you a job and then you pick the best thing. It's a very different situation. So you have to search multiple jobs at the same time. And then also you don't want to be leading people on. If there's somewhere that you don't think that you want to go, you really can burn bridges by leading them on for too long, especially if you're in a field where it's small and everyone knows each other. So you have to just be a little bit careful with the job searching process. And I say start broad online and find every that's out there and then start to narrow it down before you start reaching out to people. And it's fine to be open and honest. If there's two jobs that you're considering and you get an offer from one and you're waiting for another, you can still be open and honest about that. Certainly don't try to hide things, but it can be a little bit awkward. I compare it to like dating. I'm sorry, you compare it to what? It's kind of like dating or what I see it would be like if you were trying to online date. I don't know because we've been dating since we were like 18. Are you trying to online? Is this what I'm finding out? You're trying to online date? No, I'm just kidding. I know. Good luck. Try to online date. Good luck. You better not go online date. <laughs> it sounds awful. It it sounds very difficult. And I don't envy anyone that is trying to do that right now during a pandemic either. 
So that wasn't always the thing, though. You were doing some locums work as we were in Vegas. This was, as we're going back and forth with these things, like there was other events that were occurring and you definitely obviously don't want to burn any bridges, but you were doing some locums work that you actually really enjoyed. I did. So I was interviewing for this hospitalist positions. I looked at locums jobs for pediatric pulmonology just because I knew that I needed to do something. And I actually found a locums job at Valley Children's Hospital just outside Fresno. And this was my absolute dream job. I loved everything about working there. The people were awesome. The hospital was awesome. The support staff was amazing. And just the support of the hospital and the admin, the whole community was great. My job desires working locums were different than my dream job in the place that I was living. So for locums, I would fly out for one week a month and I would work. I worked hard for that week, was on call for the whole week. I wanted to work as many hours as possible because I was away from my family and it paid really well because I was doing locums. And then as an added bonus, I had a bunch of friends from fellowship and my very first medical assistant from when I was a resident lived there as well with her husband. So it was really good because I got some adult time and got to see some friends while I was working. And then this job that was amazing, of course, they offered me a job because they had a position open, but Literally, the only box that it didn't check for us was location. And that was hard. And we talked about it a lot. We talked long and hard about moving there because I had this potentially amazing job. And of course, I could work normal hours if we lived close by. But the location was going to be really hard for us because it wasn't close to any family. It wasn't really close to anything that we wanted. It's semi-rural, which Ryan was not excited about. Well, I said if we were going to move to California... Let's move to like a really fun part of California because I want to pay California tax and the sunshine tax. I would like to have sunshine and a beach and all the other fun stuff that are nearby that the kids, because I was very fortunate and grew up within close proximity to the ocean. And so if we're going to pay for everything to live in California and I'd want to experience the beach and everything California would have to offer. And that piece was difficult for me to get over. It wasn't the fact that it was rural. It's just that if we're going to do all of that and it's going to have that kind of cost of living that I'd rather be somewhere like we were when we were in San Diego because we met in undergrad and then I did both my graduate degrees here while you were starting med school. And then we did a residency in Orange County and we lived in fellowship in San Diego. So we're very familiar with San Diego and everything. And that's the direction I was going with as it was. If we had to turn down, she said, hey, this tracked literally every box and I really, really want to do this. I might have given in, but it didn't happen that way. Yeah. So there were actually a couple jobs open in Southern California that I was interviewing for. And one of those was for the Navy. And I didn't know much about working for the Navy at all. And actually found this through Facebook. A friend of mine saw someone post that there was a pediatric pulmonology job in San Diego. And the person that posted it wasn't friends with any of my friends. I was like, this is sketchy. The only peds poem people in San Diego where I trained. So I reached out to this person because I was interested and I didn't think it was real. But turns out it was real. It was a Navy job. And I talked to the pulmonologist who was working there and it sounded awesome. And we just happened to be going out to San Diego a couple weeks later for our son to follow up with ENT because he had PE tubes for lots of ear infections and did not have a good experience in Vegas. So it worked out perfectly. So I went to the hospital and met with them and toured the hospital. And after I toured the hospital and met a lot of people, it seemed really nice. I had lunch with 
two male physicians, the pulmonologist and the department head. And it's really funny now because they're both really good friends of mine. But the first thing they asked me was, what's most important to you in a job? And I looked at these two guys and I said, you know what, work-life balance is really the most important thing to me. And I want to be dedicated to my work, but also dedicated to my family. I have two little kids. I want to be able to walk them to school one day a week. I want to be able to pick them up one day a week and really just have a good balance. And their responses were amazing because they both took it in stride. One of them was like, yeah, I got four kids. It's crazy, but you know, I make it work. Yeah, they are crazy. We love them, but that makes so much sense that I was his response, by the way. Makes and, so much sense. And the other runner department head was also really supportive too and has two kids and a wife that's a physician. So totally understands that. And they were just so supportive. And it was such a 180 from my last experience saying that I just knew this was going to be a supportive place. And it took a while to finally have all the paperwork go through, but it happened. And my job now, it doesn't check every single box on my checklist. I'm not making a million dollars working 10 hours a week, but it checks most of the boxes on my checklist. I'm in a super happy relationship with my job. And I want to spend my whole career here. I never want to leave. My number one goal, I didn't write it on my goal checklist, but really in my heart, I feel like I just want to be able to help kids and help my patients. And I feel like I'm able to do that in my job. So maybe that supersedes everything. Because really where I'm at, patients are first. Everyone's goal is to take care of patients. And it's really easy to coordinate things like our staff is supportive. It's not perfect by any means. There's still hiccups places. But overall, I'm really happy. And I just absolutely love the job. And if I was searching for jobs online, trying to find this dream job, it's not out there. Like I just wouldn't be able to find it. But knowing what I wanted and now knowing what I have, it's, I truly have my dream job and I'm super happy. Well, you joke about having it be a million dollars in 10 hours a week. Like the money was not important to you. It was all the other pieces and the fact that they were supportive of you just right from the beginning with their answers and that you would not expect from two active duty physicians to be, and that were male to be honest, to be able to support you. When I picked you up, I had the kids, we were hanging out in like Balboa Park and come back and you're like, that was crazy. That was amazing. This is XYZ happening. Now that you're here and now we know them, it makes a lot more sense. That's their personality types as well. But you have a really cool gig and you're really happy and it's different. We never would have been like, oh yeah, let's go work for the government. And to be clear, I work hard. I'm on call 24-7. I'm the only pulmonologist right now. I'm on call all the time. But it's just I'm so happy with everything that it works out. And I do have a layer of protection between me and patients for the most part, which really helps so that I can be on call 24-7 and it's not a big deal. I know that if someone's calling me, it's important and they need my knowledge. And for that, I'm happy to answer the call and help out a kid with whatever they need. And also, I just want to say you can do this at any point in your career. So if you're feeling burnt out or overworked or just not happy with where your career is going, sit down and go through this exercise and write down all of your goals and your dream job. And it can help to identify what you want in a job. And if there's changes that you can make in your current job to become more happy. Um, and if that's not possible, if you realize the job you're at just isn't checking any of the boxes for you, start looking for a new job. Now's as good a time as any. If you're not happy where you're at, make it change so that you can be happy going forward and and really live the life that you want to live. And you've worked so hard already just getting through training that you deserve to be happy. And I'm your number one fan. I'm your number one fan, Taylor. Uh, thank you. I think this is really helpful. I hope all of you found that this was really helpful. Tay, thanks so much for being back on the show and dropping some knowledge bombs. And I think just giving a lot of insight that I can't give to the actual work situation. We can talk numbers all day long and the ones and zeros and even life planning outside of work. 
but I can't speak to the life planning that should take place in work. And I think you did a really good job doing that. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. And I don't care about the finance outside of work. You just tell me how much I need to make and I'll make that happen. You're doing good. You're doing good and you're happy and everyone's happy and we're very fortunate that everyone's healthy. All right, switching gears, let's head over to our financial malpractice segment. Really excited to bring back on the amazing Note Song and Nathan. Guys, welcome back on. Thanks for for coming back and spending some time with us on this segment. Oh, always happy to be here. Thanks for having us. All right. What is your financial horror story? We're so excited to hear. I think that your audience has heard a lot about us talking about trusts, and it gets a little bit confusing because there are these things called testamentary trusts, and they're trusts that are created when a will is triggered, so when when you die. And we have several clients who have kids with special needs or some major disabilities, and they're on public benefits. The thing that people don't think about is that when some people come into a great inheritance, it puts them at risk of losing those public benefits. And so we do have a story to tell you about a mother who died and she didn't create any type of trust or will. So no estate plan whatsoever. Her daughter had some major health issues and she was disabled and was on all of these public benefits. She was set to receive all of her assets, including retirement accounts, and she was named as a beneficiary. Problem was that these assets that she inherited made her completely ineligible for her disability and government healthcare benefits. And it just completely put her in a lurch. She didn't know what to do. Obviously, she had some medical issues that required somebody to help her along. She didn't take the required disbursements from the retirement accounts. She started accumulating government tax penalties. I mean, it just was a complete avalanche of disaster. And so what happened was her attorney had to petition the court to set up a special needs trust to help her manage the assets. And that just resulted in legal and court fees in the tens of thousands of dollars. Now, the big question is, how could this have been different? And the tragedy of all of these things is that the easy solution would have been if her mom had created a living trust or even created a will that created a special needs trust within that will for her daughter. And that way, what happens is the daughter wouldn't have received ownership of the assets in a way that would have booted her off of those benefit programs. So, you know, it gets tricky because you have to set these trusts up in a special way. You can create them up as a supplemental special needs trust. We did create that for a client recently. The other thing, too, is if you work with lawyers or financial advisors, they can help you make sure that you don't forget about those type of non-probate assets. Ultimately, the goal here is to ensure that the relative with special needs or disability never has ownership. And so even if you set things up properly in your will and your trust, it can still mess up those plans if you don't track your non-probate assets correctly. It's sort of like there are two pitfalls here in this woman's situation, because even if she just had a basic will and just said special needs trust for my daughter, you know, that's sort of the step one. But if she named her daughter as beneficiary of her 401k plan, those 401k assets are going to disperse to the daughter um, directly rather than to her trust because the the will does not control the 401k plan. It's a non-probate asset. So that's why it's important to, you know, to sort of have, you know, trained experts to sort of help because they'll ask you those questions of like, let's talk about your known probate assets. So hiring attorneys or having a financial advisors that can ask those probing questions. This tragedy had several different ways that things could go off the rail and, and did. I mean, the system is set up so that like government benefits go to people who can't afford to pay. 
that's sort of the fundamental idea, right? And, you know, and it happens with old people that are going into nursing homes and stuff like that. It, but it's like the system is set up so that if you have any assets, those will get drained, right? If your assets go to your child and you haven't sort of thought through those things, the government will just be like, that's fine. You can pay for it on your own. And then once you're, once you're broke again, then we'll step in, you know, so you'll get your you'll get your government benefits eventually, but that's after all of those assets have been depleted. So again, talk to experts, especially, and this is again, that situation of like, you know, sometimes kids develop issues later in life. And I think that's the thing too. I don't want to sort of barrage your, the listeners with sort of like all these things that they have to keep in mind. I think that's, again, that piece where it's like, there are experts out there. We are happy to help. So when things change, all you have to do is just say like, I need to talk to somebody. So, and that's what we do. So. Yep. And we loved working with you guys. Taylor and I had needed to update a bunch of our stuff. We were happy to have found you guys to use you guys. You know, I've talked about on air how Taylor was like, well, that didn't suck like the last time. This was actually enjoyable. And then, uh, you know, we get these nice packages from you guys and the pretty paper. And it's like I was didn't even want to write on it because it was so nice. And Taylor thought I was an idiot, which is mostly the case anyway. But, you know, we got them notarized. We didn't wait six months to get that done. We actually got it notarized in time. And we've been very happy. That's why I've been so excited to, you know, scream your names from the rooftops for everyone to hear because you guys have done a really good job for us personally. And we've just really appreciated all the work that you've done, even just for our community and all our clients. So thank you for coming back on. We appreciate you both. And for anyone that doesn't have their estate planning done, please go to financialresidency.com slash TW and hire these two amazing people because they helped us out a lot. And I know they can help you guys out as well. Before we end, I want to remind you guys of today's sponsor, which is Dr. Jimmy Turner's Alpha Coach Experience. Act now and claim your spot in the spring enrollment before doors close, which is on February 22nd at midnight. There's no better time than now to make the change you know you deserve to be a better parent, a partner, and a physician. So enroll today at drpodcastnetwork.com slash alpha, A-L-P-H-A, course just like always it's in the description of the show that you're listening to right now and you know how much i love jimmy even though i make fun of him but he's got a really good program i encourage you to check it out that's drpodcastnetwork.com slash alpha all right everyone well hopefully that was helpful i love doing these segments i of course love having taylor on the show and helping us out with some of the things that i can't talk about because i'm not a physician i'm just married to one and i play one on tv apparently no i'm just kidding but I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for being here. Please share this show or share the just the podcast in general with other physicians and their families so we can help them take control over their money and feel comfortable, you know, increase their financial acumen. We want you to feel empowered and in control and honestly to protect yourself from all the bad actors out there that are trying to part you with your hard-earned money. Now you're going to hear from my little man, Wyatt, in our disclaimer. It's for entertainment purposes only, though. Don't take anything. But he'll say it much better than me. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye.